one song to sing at the end, so keep that in mind. It's called Hymn of the Ages for those that do this and do this. All right. There is Sunday school for the children, so let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Uh, we pray that your spirit will guide and direct my thoughts and words, that they will, first of all, bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the saints will be encouraged, strengthened, and blessed. And I pray that non-believers, sinners, will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior today. I pray for the Sunday school as well, that you will bless the teaching, that the kids' life will be enriched and they will turn to the Lord and make him the Savior of their lives. I pray for those listening online, that they too will be strengthened, encouraged, and blessed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Um, I will get there to that message in a minute. Uh, one of the preachers in the... Uh, uh, don't move it. Am I the one moving it? Not me. It's you. <laughs> uh, he said, a while back, I met a, a Christian or somebody that used to be a Christian who said, I'm no longer a Christian. He was a pastor in the U.S. And then he said, then he brought the Bible. He said, this is your Bible. So much is being said. And I want you to tell me what is the most important thing. I want you to boil it down to the simplest thing for me. He said, I scratched my head. I wanted to tell him going to church. I wanted to tell him prayer. I wanted to tell him all of those. He said, I didn't know what to tell him. And this was a preacher from the U.S. speaking to a Canadian guy who had been to theology college, read all of these things and heard all of these things. So I realized that in our audience there are all kinds of people. And so I want to boil it down to what is the most important thing according to the Bible. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read from the New International Revised Version because the, the English is quite clear. Uh, I like this, uh, this guy called Mark Winger and um, Bible thinker. I've been thinking along with him when I go for walks. My daughter introduced him to me two years ago and I just brushed her aside because what, what do young people know? So I just brushed her aside, didn't listen, said, said Dad, you might find this guy interesting. I said, oh, no. Well, uh, I started listening to him and this is this year. And I found out, uh, okay, Mr. Mark found him out and then mentioned it. I said, 
if David is enjoying him, he's probably a good person to listen to. So I have listened to him and I find him very insightful because he asks questions. Ask questions from scriptures. But I want to read to you what this says. First Corinthians chapter 15. I'm reading from the New International Revised Version. It says, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news I preach to you. You received it and have put your faith in it because you believe the good news. You are saved. But you must hold firmly to the message I preach to you. If you don't, you have believed it for nothing. And this is what the Bible says for us. It says, what I received, I pass on to you. I like this translation. And it is the most important of all. So what's the most important thing when we take the scriptures and then we boil it down? Here it's what it is. In fact, it states that Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said he would. Real death, not fake or faint death, he died. And he died for a purpose, for our sins. He was buried he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said he would be. He appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12 apostles, and so forth. But let's read it again. From verse 3, what I received, I passed on to you, and it is the most important of all. So, if you are not a Christian and you are not a believer, and if you are a believer, this is the most important thing. Here is what it is. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said he would, he was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said he would be. So what's the most important thing? I don't want you to live here and forget. Christ died for our sins. That, that's the most important thing that you need to know as a believer, that your sin issue has been taken care of by the death of Christ. Nothing else is more important. And it doesn't really matter whether you are rich or poor, or whether you are black, white, yellow, orange, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the Lord Jesus died for our sins. Why is that important? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you hear people say, oh, the Bible is a whole bunch of things, it doesn't make sense. Take them back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It tells you what the most important thing is. We have all kinds of preachers preaching all kinds of things, saying all kinds of things, sometimes interesting, but we must never lose sight of the most important thing. The Bible itself says this is the most important, not Ime, the most important. Paul was writing on this. And so, I'm back to the cross. 
or talking about the Lord Jesus Christ because I want to shut out COVID. I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about Christ. And what that has done is it's forced me to ask the question like, what is Jesus doing today? How was the trial of Jesus? And now I find myself trying to talk about the cross this morning. Specifically, Christ from the cross. Uh, brother and Lord has shared this on this platform once. He has shared it here at this location a couple of times. He will come back to share it again because it is good. It's a message that you never exhaust. So I'm going to, I've been planning to preach on the Christ from the cross for at least 12 years. And uh, just reading up, trying to absorb it, uh, some of them seem more fascinating to me than others. So I've been meditating on this and thinking about it. And today I'm going to be focusing on the very first cry from the cross. But I'm going to walk you through my idea this morning. So let's see. Um, I think this is working. This does work. To make sure that you're engaged and that you're not sleeping and that I'm not speaking like Nigerian. I do have questions. But... Let's read this, the words of this hymn. I grew up singing, so if you see me singing all the time, it's because my parents took me to the choir on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and we sang all the time. All the time. It's the only way we got things in, and it was glorious. So singing is good, and David told us we'll be doing it in heaven, so it's a good thing. So this is a great song. Notice the second line. It says, Father, forgive them. Thus did he pray. Even while his life blood flowed fast away, praying for sinners while in such woe. No one but Jesus ever loved so. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding for sinners, pleading, blind and unheeding. Dying for me. Questions for you. I want to jog your memory. I want to make you start thinking Bible. You know, uh, I'm actually getting beginning to enjoy reading the Bible more. I don't know why, but I think it's a good thing. Just by asking questions. Like I said, this guy has motivated me. So, question number one. Could redemption have been accomplished silently without Jesus' words from the cross? Is it possible that Redemption could have been accomplished by his death without his word from the cross. Think about it and answer. Everybody's wondering what's the right answer. It's not the right answer, no exams here. So. He had to fulfill scripture. <laughs> he had to fulfill scripture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, he, he didn't answer yes or no. He told me he had to fulfill scripture. <laughs> he had to fulfill scripture. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, the yeah, he had to affirm. Okay, yeah, yeah, he had to fulfill scripture. No doubt about it. Yeah. His words say who he was, who he is. His words say who he was, who he is. Okay. So we haven't gotten a no or yes answer. Or we are just, uh, uh, you know. Can you drive a car without an engine? Like, uh, 
Okay. All right. So, so, so we're going to leave it hanging. <laughs> we are going to leave it hanging. All right. He had to fulfill scripture. I like that answer. Okay, so why did Jesus speak from the cross? You gave an answer. He had to fulfill scripture. That's one answer. Any other answer? There are no wrong answers on this. It proved he was the one. You could identify that it was him, you know, when he's, like he mentioned some of those scriptures, right? To establish fact before faith. <laughs> to establish fact before faith, and uh, the third one was feelings. What, uh, <laughs> that's what the preacher said last week. Facts first, faith, and then feelings, in that order. Always get the facts to anchor your faith, and then feelings can work, Okay. So who spoke to Jesus and how did he respond when he was on the cross? I'm, I'm jogging your memory. I'm trying to make sure you're a participant in this thing. That's all it is. So the thief spoke to Jesus. And how did Jesus respond? Today you will be with me in paradise. One of the most profound statements in scriptures. I will speak on that next time. <laughs> yeah, that's one person. Who else? The other thief, the other thief <laughs> spoke to Jesus, and what did he say? Get down, and save us. Get down and save us if you are the Christ. Make it happen, man. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> and how did Jesus respond? Do Canadians say cricket? Is that how they say it? <laughs> These are all Canadian terms. I'm learned. He said nothing. He didn't respond. Who else spoke to Jesus while he was on the cross? Spoke either to or spoke about him. So many people were speaking. The what? He spoke to John. Yes, he spoke to John. That's the next question. To whom did Jesus speak when he was on the cross? Spoke to John, spoke to his mother, spoke to, spoke to who else? He spoke to God the Father. That's right. And who else? He said it before, the thief. It's amazing that the first person to, I believe, to make it to heaven when Christ died and was crucified was that man. Today, today you will be with me. He was a thief. A criminal. All right. And how often and when did God the Father speak to Jesus when he was on earth? This one is a general question. You have to be able to answer this. I know he spoke to him on so many occasions. I'm just asking the one that is recorded in scriptures. The one that we can read. On the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did he say again? This is my beloved son. At his baptism. And what did he say again? This is my beloved son. It's good to know. God sees the Lord Jesus as his beloved son. Son. All right. In whom is well pleased. Okay. What did God the Father say to Jesus when he was on the cross? At least as we read in scriptures. He said, 
nothing. And Jesus spoke to God the Father at least three times. And the Father said nothing. Why? Just something to think about. Okay. Jesus speaks from the cross. Let's read scriptures. The first one. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33 to 34, and when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I've put something there that says forgiveness. Secondly, in Luke chapter 23 from verse 42 to 43, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That word truly, see this is where the Bible thinker helps me, means amen. It is settled. So when you hear truly, truly, amen, amen. And it's only Jesus that speaks this way. It's a settled thing. Today, or truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And then the third one, in John 19 from verse 26 to 27. So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, behold your mother. Interesting, you know, like he just uh, looked at his mother and said, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And the disciples understood what that meant. Right? Just say, look at your son, look at your mother. And the disciple did something. He didn't say, take her home or do anything. He knew right away that this is my mother. Okay. I call that family love. That's how I put it there. So in Matthew 27 from verse 45 to 46, we read, Now from the sixth hour, Darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you notice something about this one? It's not only written in English, but it's written in the original language. Because uh, there's a sense that, you know, the wailing is probably well understood in the language. With a loud voice, Eli, Eli. And did you notice something else? From the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. 
So there was darkness. So it was darkness. So that's that. And then in John 19, 28, we read after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture would be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. Now, by the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. That's what I'm using today. And uh, next one. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That's John 19.30. I call that paid in full. And uh, Jesus crying with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. We heard about that this morning. He entrusted his spirit to God. Now, when I say I'll be speaking on this, it doesn't mean I will speak on all of them, so... Please don't expect that the next seven messages or email, just some of them intrigue me more than the others. All right. Let's repeat these words. The word of God is good. So Jesus' words revealed his heart. He reveals what is in his heart, what he considers most important. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That's one of the things he said. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He said that to the thief. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those are the seven words or the seven sayings on the cross. The first three words, just a few things you need to note. Let's repeat it again. Because they are the words of scripture and they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can get it into my mind and chew on it, it will arouse faith in me and it will strengthen me. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So these words were spoken in daylight while it was still bright. From nine to about 12, that's when they were spoken. And the emphasis here is on the compassion, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words were also spoken to or about others. The first one he was speaking to his dad, Father, forgive them. And the first word you will notice is prayer. Prayer to God for his enemies, for people that were uh, crucifying him. That's, that's the first thing he did. The second word that he spoke was a promise. A promise given to a thief, to a criminal, to one that the society considered not fit to live for whatever reason. That was the man that the Lord Jesus gave promise to on the cross. The man that morning 
All he knew was that he was going to be killed and he was going to die. That's all he knew. But the Lord Jesus gave him a promise that was the greatest gift he ever received in his life while he was on the cross. A promise given to a thief. I want you to keep that at the back of your mind. Someone that the society had condemned because of his sins or because of the things he had done wrong. But Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. And the third word was instruction. Essentially, it was, I see that instruction to family members. On one of those occasions, remember in the scriptures, Jesus was preaching and his, his earthly mother and brother so we're waiting outside and somebody came to him and said, your relatives are looking for you. And then Jesus looked around and he says, who is my mother, who is my brother, who is my sister? Whoever hears the word of God and does it, it's my mother, it's my brother, it's my sister. So I called Christians or believers family members. So, for some of us in the congregation, behold your mother, behold your son, behold your brother, behold your sister. So reach out and be a blessing to your family members. So all of these words were spoken to God or were spoken about other people. And I want you to think about it. <laughs> that was when his hands were nailed on the cross. At least from what I read, when people were crucified, they were only looking for one thing, to die. The last thing or the last person in their mind was other people. Because crucifixion, from what I read, what if it was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. And it was meant to inflict maximum pain, prolonged death, and give the greatest humiliation. So that when you walk by, as the people were being crucified, you will know that you don't want to fall into this. And it was never intended to be given to Roman citizens. It was non-citizens that were inflicted this pain. So when a man is on the cross, what is looking for is death. Not thinking about others, but the Lord Jesus while he was on the cross. His first heart reached out to us, others, others, and enemies, thieves, family members. Those were his words. The last four words. Let's read again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we read earlier that he cried with a loud voice. I am thirsty. The one that was living water said I'm thirsty. Of course he ought to have been thirsty. Because the last time he drank anything was at least 14 hours earlier. You're trying to make sure that they capture the preacher. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Yes, <laughs> all over the place. The last time, the last time he, was, he ate anything was in the evening when he had the last supper with his disciples. 
And in between that time, he had been to Gethsemane. He had undergone trial all night, beaten, scorched, mocked, and then he's crucified. And I'm pretty sure that the Lord Jesus was thirsty as soon as he got to the cross, if not before then. But he didn't say a word. He was waiting to ensure that all things have been accomplished so that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's when he said, I'm thirsty. And then he said, it is finished or paid in full. As I understand it, that was a common term. That was an accounting term that says it's all done. It wasn't that I'm finished, but it is finished. And then further into your hands, I commit my spirit. Uh, a brother, Lord Wynne, shared that this morning. And if you go to the psalm where it is written, one word is not there, Father. The other one is there, into your hands I commit my spirit, but Father is missing. So these are the words he spoke, and this happened in darkness. From 12 p.m. till 3 p.m., the emphasis is on the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these words were spoken to his father. They were addressed to his father. And these words, relate, you know, they relate to his anguish and triumph. All right. Today, we're speaking on just the first word. That's where we are going. Let's read again. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So in these notes that I have, it's probably going to be I ask questions, I answer them, and then I move on like that. That's the way it's going to be. But let's make a few observations. First one. The words of the prayer fulfilled prophecy. And that's the prophecy in Isaiah 53, verse 12. It reads, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So these words were written about 750 years before the Lord Jesus was crucified. So when I read that, I asked my wife, I said, um, do we say intercede today? If I use the word intercede, will the young people, it's not a common language. So that's why I went to this translation, to make it clear. For this reason, I will make him a great man among people, and he will share in all things with those who are strong, he willingly gave his life and was treated like a criminal. But he carried away the sins of many people and asked forgiveness. Intercession. 
That's it. Ask forgiveness for those who sin. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, he was fulfilling scripture. He was fulfilling scripture. So that's the first thing I'd like us to note. But there's something else I want you to note, and I'm hoping you won't forget. This one. Jesus' words or prayer was repeated. Let's read again. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This prayer was offered more than once. And I'm sure if you go into your translation, it will say, Jesus said, some of them will say that this is the New American Standard. So, I, I like having fun with the people around me, so I asked my daughter, where is the Greek? She knows the Greek. She can say, say that there's an app that will tell you what the original in the Greek is. So, so she checked it because I don't know Greek and I'm not planning to learn Greek. Okay, so she checked and then she checked, checked it again, checked, make sure it said, yeah, it's actually saying Jesus was saying. He didn't say it once. He didn't pray once. He didn't say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing once. When they nailed his hand, he looked at them and then said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. When they nailed his feet, he looked at them and looked up to God and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. As they raised him on the cross, and planted the cross on the ground, the Lord Jesus was praying, praying for those who were kneeling him and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And as they gambled for his cloth, he was praying. So he was saying, he was continuously praying for them. Praying for sinners while in such war. No one but Jesus could ever love so. So, I'm hoping you don't forget that this prayer wasn't offered once. It was offered continuously. And it was offered for enemies. Now let's keep going. Father. That's the first word we see as we look into the prayer. We see the word Father. I'd like you to know that this is the first time the Lord Jesus asked his father to forgive. As far as we know. Because during his earthly ministry, he was forgiving people. In fact, remember the man that was paralyzed and his friends removed the roof, lowered him down, he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven you. And the people said, what? Who is this man to forgive sin? And he said that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. I say unto you, arise. And also you remember the woman that was caught in adultery. And then he looked the people said, Lord, this lady was caught in the very act 
What says you? And then he stooped down and wrote. He looked up again. There was this time. He said, well, what says? He says, whoever has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And they said, beginning from the, you know, the oldest, they all moved away. And he looked at that. He says, woman, does no one condemn you? He says, no one. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So while he was on earth and ministering, he was forgiving sin. But when he was on the cross, he was on a different assignment. Paying the price for our sin. Becoming sin for us. That's why he had to speak to the father. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. He willingly submitted to God the Father and deferred to him when it comes to forgiveness. What more can we say? Father, forgive them. Let's read this. In Mark 15, from verse 24, we read, And they crucified him and divided his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Now let's look at that list. The soldiers crucified him. Those passing by, those passing by, they were abusing him. The chief priests and the scribes, they were all insulting him, abusing him, you know, saying, yeah, this is the end for you. And even those that were crucified with him were also insulting him. In the middle of this insult, abuse, mocking, crucifixion, he prayed. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. I am sure if it was me, and I have a little ounce of strength in me, I know what I will say. It will not be forgive them. It will probably be something more like, can you please, I will probably be acting in the mood of uh, uh, James and John, the son of thunder, and saying, Lord, rain down thunder and smoke them out. He didn't do that. It's an amazing request while the crown of thorns was on his head, while his hands were nailed, he was praying, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they are doing. As John mentioned, this was to fulfill scripture. He was also practicing his message. He had already said in the Sermon on the Mount, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The man was leaving the message while he was on the cross. Not only that, that was the purpose of his life and death. What else is there? Some might say only Christ could do this. No other person could pray for enemies in that way. I'd like to suggest to you that a transformed child of God can pray for those who are his enemies. And that brings us to this man, Stephen. You've heard his name. In Acts 6, 8, we read this word, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So he was arrested and he was being stoned. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So I'd like to suggest to you that forgiving and forgiveness is a choice. You make the choice to forgive even in the midst of severe persecution. He was dying, but he was praying for those who were stoning him. Let's move on. Father, forgive them. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. So who is them? At this time in context, it appears it will be the soldiers. It could also be seen as all the Jews, Gentiles that were involved in plotting his death, crucifixion, trials, and mocking. But I'd like to suggest also, all of us are included. I don't know if, Dave, you paid attention to that song that you gave this morning. The song you gave this morning, number 62. Maybe one can go back to look at it. It talks about the fact that he didn't only intercede for them on the cross, he's still interceding for us. He's still praying. As the high priest, he's still interceding on our behalf. So I'd like to suggest to you that if we were there that day, it's likely would have said away with this man. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing. So what, they were, what were they ignorant of? It's a question I like to ask. Let me suggest to you a few things. 
They were ignorant of his person. They mocked him as prophet. When they slapped him and beat him, they said, prophesy to us. They mocked him as king, as Christ or God. Even the rulers were sneering. We read saying, he saved others. Let himself himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So they were ignorant of his person. I also like to suggest to you, they were also ignorant of the fact that they were actors. Used by God to fulfill prophecy. I've put in a few words there. They parted his garments. We read that in Luke 23, 34. He fulfilled Psalm 28, 18. They gave him vinegar to drink that psalm there, and they crucified him. Perhaps much more seriously, they were ignorant of the enormity of their sin. So, when the Lord Jesus Christ prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, he understood that they were ignorant of whom they were crucifying. And they were also ignorant of the gravity of their sin. So the next question that somebody will ask then is, does it mean that ignorance brings forgiveness and salvation? It's a good question. John or Peter, after the Lord Jesus had died and resurrected, On one of those days, Peter was going to the temple and then saw the paralyzed man and then said, he looked at him intently and then he noticed that he had the faith to be saved. He said, silver and gold I have not, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man stood up and was sleeping, running and praising God. And then the people gathered. And then Peter began to preach. That was the day when 2,000 people were added to the church. And this is what he said. And now, brethren, in Acts 3, I know that you acted in ignorance. Just as your rulers did also. But notice this. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ will suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You acted in ignorance. In fact, he was recalling the events that had happened. He said, I know, just as the rulers did also. But God has fulfilled what he promised Therefore, repent. And of course, there was repentance because 2,000 people were added to the church that day. They turned and followed the Lord. So, what did Jesus' prayer and crucifixion accomplish? I'd like you to know this. 
verse, an important verse which has been recited over and over again. It's been shared by John Wells. It's been shared by Dave Mark. They've read this verse. There are some of these verses that you need to make it your own. Own it and make it part of you. So, so they need to be repeated. When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. His death brought about us, believers, having all of our transgressions taken away, being nailed to the cross. Are you forgiven? It's important. Why is it important? It is the very first thing that the Lord Jesus mentioned on the cross. It is the very first prayer that he offered and he offered it over and over and over again. Because he knows that forgiveness is important. Without forgiveness, you are doomed. So it's a good question to ask, are you forgiven? I'm sure there's a track. John has one there that, that has that title. So this is a good question, and it's an important question, and it's one that we need to think about because it determines where we go. It determines our destiny. Maybe the next question that you need to ask, if you are forgiving, how is your forgiving index? Are you a forgiving believer? Or are you one that nurses and hawks how is your forgiving meter? So, Colossians 3 verses 12 to 13 says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. It doesn't come naturally. It needs to be put on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are not things that come up naturally. You need to put them on. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Paul in writing makes it clear that sometimes we have complaints against one another. But he said the recipe is that we need to be forgiving. I'd like to suggest to you that a Christian must be somebody that is constantly forgiving others. Whether in a church relationship, whether in a home relationship, whether in a work relationship, as long as there are interactions, there will be need for forgiveness. And we must put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bear with one another. And forgive each other. This is the 
Only way we can flourish in our walk with God and be a blessing to one another. And that's why the Lord Jesus introduced the most important thing on the cross when he mentioned Father forgiveness. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Forgiving or forgiving others must characterize our daily walk. Which means we have to be in some ways offense proof. If you are easily offended, you have to ask God for grace not to be easily offended and touchy in all relationships. Illustration. I have to read this one. I knew that it's one that I have to use because when I mention it to my wife, by the way, I do preach these things to my wife and my daughter. They hear my message more than once. Maybe you didn't know that. So I said, have you heard of how the gospel got to Korea? She said, ah, did you read it in the daily bread this week? I said, which daily bread? (laughs) I didn't read it. So I said, okay, it must be important. Now let's read. Let me read it for you. I had already planned to put this there when she mentioned it. It says, in 1886, Robert Thomas, a Welsh missionary in China, he heard that Korean's language is similar to Chinese. So he had some Bible and some gospel literature, and he had a burden for the Korean people. So he decided, I think I need to package this thing and then take it along. So he joined a, a, a ship, an American ship called General Shaman. If you read your daily bread last week, you probably saw this story. That was heading to Korea, Ponyang. So as they approached the place, there was conflict between the American crew and the, and the uh, Korean crew in the ship. And then they set the entire place on fire, fought, everybody died except Robert. So Robert was holding you know, the Bible and the literature, and then he landed on the shore of Punyan. And what do you think happened? They clobbered him to death. But the message had reached Korea. The gospel had reached Korea. And I'm sure the word of God doesn't go void. The people got the message, got the literature read. And I'm, you know very well that South Korea has one of the most published Christian population in the world today. That was how the gospel reached there. Because as they as we were clobbering in my imagine it was saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. So, friends, I see the time is up and preachers are known for adding extra time. This is the message. Boil it down. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness. One word without which there is no salvation. Freely granted to anyone who humbly receives it. Answer to prayer realized through Jesus' death. God still forgives and forgives, and forgives, and forgives. Believers must also forgive, and forgive, and forgive, and forgive, and forgive. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to share your word. I pray you grant us the heart of compassion and kindness towards one another, and help us to appreciate your son for his great sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
I did have a song. It was called Hymn of the Ages. <laughs> 